Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Good morning, church. It is, it's such a blessing for me to be able to be here and worship with you and praise God together. Uh, I appreciate you. Uh, I love you. I'm, I appreciate you being here. Um, it's kind of it's funny to me. Uh, my dad's actually preaching this morning as well uh, at Pikeville Congregation just a couple hours down the road. And so to be able to share with that, to share with that with him preaching this morning, it's a blessing to me. Uh, whenever we had a uh, high school week of camp a couple weeks ago, Maddie and I had the opportunity to have, like, each have a split discussion style class with the guys and the girls. And we were talking about God's power, right? The power of God. And while we were discussing that in the guys' class, we got onto the topic of prayer. And, and specifically, God's power through prayer. And we talked about the different types of prayers that we prayed. Right, we have the mealtime prayer that we pray before we eat. Uh, the guys talked about prayers that they prayed whenever they were younger, such as the I really want to have an Xbox prayer, or the I really want a TV in my room, or maybe even like I really want to eat ice cream for breakfast type prayer. And whenever we are younger, we offer these types of prayers up to God. And I'm sure you have prayed prayers like this too. Maybe even you are doing it now. And because we become so convinced by everything and by everyone, that God grants us what we want whenever we pray to him. Think about that way of thinking real quick. Think about that way of thinking when you think about a relationship with God. Sometimes we laugh about the the prayers of children, but sometimes our relationship with God as adults and when we get older isn't too different. Sometimes we think God wants me to be good and be happy. As long as I'm good, that's all that matters, right? God only wants me to be good, and if I'm good and I am living the way that God wants me to live, I am using my life to further glorify Him, and I should be happy as long as I'm good. But this just isn't true, right? This is, this is what really God wants. God wants me, God wants you, God wants us together to follow Jesus. God wants me to follow Jesus, and following Jesus is a whole lot more than just being good. If you want to, if you want to turn with me, we just read it, Luke 9, Luke 9, verses 23 through 24. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is what God wants for us. This is what God truly wants for us. He wants us to take up our cross. He wants us to live. And to really live, first, we must follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus, we must take up our cross. The idea of our cross today has almost become diluted. Right? We wear crosses on jewelry. We, we use crosses as a decoration. We hang them on the walls. And of course, there's nothing bad about doing that. Right, nothing bad at all, but take a step back with me. Take a step back and imagine the cross in the first century. Let's put on our first century glasses together and view what a cross would mean in that time. A cross in the first century was a torture device. Right? A cross in the first century was a perfected execution device. A cross in the first century was not used as a piece of jewelry. A cross in the first century was not used as a decoration on a wall. If today we saw an electric chair, if today we saw a lethal injection chair, if we saw any means of capital punishment, and if we would put on our first century glasses, we would see a cross. We would see death. 
we would see a cross. They go hand in hand, those two. Following Jesus means he is going to be killed, he's going to be executed, and there's a possibility that we are too. That's the first step in following Jesus, right? The first step. Step one of discipleship. Take up your cross. Embrace the instrument, the instrument of execution because there's a very real chance that you will die, and whether you do or if you don't, that you are ready to lay down your life to further the gospel. You must die to yourself in order to follow Jesus. I must die to myself in order to follow Jesus. We must die to follow him. If you follow Jesus, you will live forever. But in order to live forever, you must first die, deny yourself, and embrace your cross. And you know, church, we should be doing this from the very start, right? Paul says that he was crucified with Christ. He was crucified. He died to himself, and he lives no longer. If you would like to turn with your Bibles to Acts chapter 6 and 7. Acts chapter 6 and 7. This is where we're going to spend the re- most of the rest of our time that we have this morning. In Acts chapter 6, we're introduced to a man, a man named Stephen. And Stephen is one of the seven men in Acts chapter 6 that was chosen to serve and care for the Greek-speaking widows of the church. Right? Stephen begins doing signs and wonders among the people while being full of grace and full of power. We read that in verse 8. So much so that the religious leaders of the synagogue began to dispute with Stephen. Right? And he responds to them. So what is Stephen doing in Acts chapter 6? Right? Think about that. What Stephen is doing in Acts chapter 6. First he is ministering to the widows. Right? He's ministering to the widows while also sharing the good news of Christ. He is ministering and sharing the good news of the gospel. And he's doing these at the same time, right? He's doing both at the same time. How important is that for us today? How important is that for us today? He was talking about Jesus and doing good. And so should we. But how did the people respond whenever Stephen was doing this? How did they respond? They hated it. Right? They hated it, they hated him, they despised him. You see, because following Jesus almost always means that people will misunderstand you, they will mischaracterize you, and they will mistreat you. And they're not quite sure where the whole idea of following Jesus means getting everything you want comes from, because it certainly does not come from Jesus. Stephen took up his cross and followed Jesus. And people misunderstood They mischaracterized and they mistreated him. They even arrested him. They brought him before the Sanhedrin and he gives his defense. And interestingly enough, if you look look at this, even though he's supposed to be the one on trial, he kind of flips the script, right? And he puts the Sanhedrin on trial. In Acts 7, Acts 7 verses 9 through 10. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Stephen is giving his defense while on trial, and what does he do? What does he do? He reminds them of their forefathers before them, and he reminds them that they are just like them. They are just like them. God chose to raise Joseph up, and their father sold him 
into slavery. And his point was this, right? This is what our fathers have always done before us. Anytime God chose a chosen person to elevate him, to raise him up, to save his people, what did his people do? They rejected him and they rebelled against him. They rebelled against that chosen one. And they did the same thing with Moses in Acts chapter 7, verses 35 and 39. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. In verse 39, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. See, there is a history here, right? There is a history of their fathers, of our fathers, rejecting the one God chose to redeem, to save, and to deliver his people. Stephen is recruited by Jesus to stand before the Sanhedrin. And this Sanhedrin, it's, it's got 70 of the most powerful men in this region. And Stephen tells them they are doing exactly what their fathers have done before them what their fathers have always done before them. They were rebelling against God. They were rebelling against the one that God has chosen to save his people. And this was Stephen's mission, to preach Jesus when people wanted to hear it and to preach Jesus when they don't. To preach Jesus when they don't want to hear it. Look down with me at the toughest part of this story, I think. It's in Acts 7, uh, it's verses 51 and 52. But before we read this together... I want us to be aware of something. I want us to be aware of our tone when we read, right? And I'll be honest with you, I do this a lot. I read my own tone into the scripture. And while we know that this scripture, this scripture is inspired word, it's the inspired word of God, and our tone, it's not inspired. So let's think together about what Stephen was feeling whenever he was speaking these words, right? Stephen was not angry with these men. He was not mad at these men, right? Stephen was sad. Stephen was sad when he was speaking these things. He, he could have had tears streaming down his face whenever he said these words. And now let's read this together in verses 51 and 52. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now betrayed and murdered. And Stephen is not unique in this message, right? We all as followers of Christ are called to take up our cross, to do good, to talk about Jesus no matter what the consequences are. To speak Jesus in love, even when people hate us, for doing it. Continuing down in verses 54 and 56. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus appears to Stephen Jesus appears to Stephen to give him confidence, to let him know that he has him covered, right? To let him know that he, he, the Son of God, is reigning at the right hand of God. 
to let him know that I've got you. I've got you. And this same confidence that Jesus gives Stephen in a situation like that, you get to have too. Jesus gives you that same confidence. Because the same Jesus that was there for him is also there for you. He's there for me. He's there for all of us. The same exact Jesus who said, if you take up your cross, if you deny yourself, if you give up your life, then I will give you life. Jesus gave that promise. He gave it to Stephen, and he also gives it to you. When we read about this vision, right, this vision that Stephen has when he gazes up into heaven, the vision that gave Stephen so much confidence, that same vision has a reverse effect on the Sanhedrin, right? That same vision that gave Stephen confidence actually enraged the Sanhedrin. And if, if you notice, they did not still they did not kill Stephen whenever he called them out. Whenever he says, you are rebelling against the chosen one. When did they kill Stephen? They killed Stephen whenever he has this vision. Whenever he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. When he says that Jesus is the Son of Man, that Jesus is the exalted Messiah, the Savior of the world, only then... Only then is it in that moment when they could take it no longer. Only then in that moment is when they killed him. Let's read verses 57 through 58 of Acts 7 together. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Be happy and be good. So much for that. So much for that. So much for the idea that God only wants Stephen to be happy and to be good. That God wants Stephen to live his best life, to have a nice house, to have a nice car. So much for that. What God wanted for Stephen was for him to follow Jesus. And sometimes this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. The Sanhedrin rushed upon him. They attacked him, they grabbed him, they threw him out, and they stoned him. And they stoned him to death. Stephen took up his cross. Stephen took up his cross and followed Jesus. Stephen had already decided to give everything to Jesus, to give everything that Stephen had, including his very life. That was the Lord's. I heard it said once that Stephen had already signed the check, so to speak. And this is the day that that check was cashed. Is that not what we do when we're baptized? Right? We die to ourselves. Paul calls it a burial, right? Baptism is a burial, and we sign everything over to Jesus. We are dead after baptism, and when we rise up out of that water, we belong to Jesus. When I come up out of that watery grave, my feet belong to Jesus, my hands belong to Jesus, my head belongs to Jesus, my reputation belongs to Jesus, my life belongs to Jesus. Everything belongs to him. And I say, if I die, I die. I am going to take up my cross and follow him. And that check might not literally be cashed, but it is written. That is the cost of following Jesus right? But the reward, the reward is everything. The reward is life. The reward is eternal life 
in him. Church, what is it costing you to follow Jesus? What is it costing you to follow Jesus? In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about people who are just like Stephen. Right? He says, The meek shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. If you can continue on, just a few more verses, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The reward is everything. Let's continue on in verses 59 through 60. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Think about that. Does that sound familiar to you? Does it sound like someone else that you know? Someone who, while being executed, prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen followed Jesus in all of these things. In doing good, in proclaiming the gospel and giving his life, even in loving his enemies, even in loving his enemies while he was being so cruelly executed. In that moment when he is taking up his cross, he says, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen didn't hate these men. He didn't hate them. He wasn't bitter towards them. He loved them. And this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Jesus wants so much more from you than just be happy and be good. He wants you to take up your cross and follow him. And I'll be honest with you, right? This is a pretty rough way to start your Sunday morning, right? This is a pretty rough way to start your week, to talk about death, to talk about dying, to talk about execution, to talk about being a martyr for Jesus. And for what? You know, why? If this is what it looks like to follow Jesus Why would I want to do that? Following Jesus frees us from the anxious toil of self-preservation. Now stay with me, right? Stay with me. How much of our life, how much time do we spend worrying and working towards, striving towards things that will not last? We spend so much time and energy trying to save our wealth, right? We spend so much time and energy trying to save our reputation. We spend so much time and energy trying to save our life. And Jesus says that if you follow me, you're going to lose your life. But you're really going to find it. And this is that paradox of following Jesus. The only way to live is to die. The only way to really have life forever is to surrender this anxious toil of chasing a life that will not last. Jesus frees us from that anxious toil, doesn't he? He frees us from that. Now imagine with me for just a moment, imagine with me what you could do. Imagine with me how you could really love people. Imagine really, imagine how you could really love the church, your family, your brothers, sisters. Imagine how you could really love strangers, your spouse, your children, your parents, even when those things are not loving you back. Imagine how you could really love them if you said, Jesus frees me, he frees me from this anxious toil of self-preservation. Imagine what our relationships would look like if we really allowed Jesus 
to free us. Imagine with me the peace. Imagine with me that peace that passes all understanding if we took up our cross and followed Jesus. Imagine what we could do right here, right here in Richmond, if we didn't seek first our own wealth, if we didn't seek first our own honor, if we didn't seek first our own life, if we were to surrender to God first our self-preservation and take up our cross and follow Jesus. If we truly believe that if we lose our life for his sake, that's when we'd really find it. The promise that Stephen had, the confidence that Stephen had, it can be ours. This is the promise that Jesus makes to all of us, right? He can free us from this anxious toil. He can free us from the fear of death. He can free us from the pursuit of things that will not last and give us eternal life if we take up our cross and follow him. And that's the journey. It's the journey that begins at baptism. For those of us who have already started that journey, that's why it is so important to picture it as a burial. It's baptism as a burial with Jesus and to be raised up and say, I am yours. I am yours. This life is not mine anymore. This life that I live, that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And to those of you who haven't made that step yet, let me encourage you to listen to the words of Jesus as we close this morning. If you lose your life for my sake, then you will find it. The life in Jesus is abundant. The life in Jesus is abundant, is rich, it is plentiful. And if we can help you in any way this morning, please come forward while we stand and while we sing. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.